Welcome to Consider This Question. This is the first in a two-part series discussing violence in the Bible and how it affects our understanding and perception of God's character. It's a challenging subject, and it's a very interesting conversation. So we hope you find it enlightening and useful. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Consider This Question. Uh, Today I'm with uh, Drew Moss, uh, one of the college pastors here at Sunnybrook. Um, and Focus House and The Table. Um, he, he has multiple roles that he plays. That's right. And uh, also Ryan Vincent, who's one of our adult discipleship pastors. And we are going to be discussing a very uh, common and typical uh, question that a lot of people are asking today, which is how can a loving God uh, condone and even command uh, violence? And we see this picture not just in the Old Testament, but even in some New Testament texts as well. And so um, I'm going to begin kind of right off uh, the bat. And, uh, and, and and just in case, you know, either this really is resonating with you or you're still trying to catch up, in terms of, so what's the problem again? Um, why don't I begin, and I'm going to ask you, Drew, uh, why don't you explain a little bit, like, what is the problem? Like, where are uh, where are people today wrestling with this question about violence as it is specifically described in the Bible um, and this loving God? So yeah. can you kind of break that down? What's What what, what are the issues that uh, that people are wrestling with? Yeah, there are, uh, there are a number of people uh, who do apologetics and things like that who are saying that this is this is maybe the biggest one right now for people, um, even bigger than things like how could God send people to hell, is how how is it that God does seem to condone and to even command this violence in the Old Testament? A lot of it is directed back to the conquest of Canaan um, and and God's commanding of the destruction of these cities and every living thing in those cities. Um, and then there's uh, the harshness of rules that are given, the, the penalties for people, death for things like picking up sticks on the Sabbath um, or for disobeying parents. Um, and, and so through especially, again, most of the focus goes to the Old Testament. And I think part of the reason it is a big deal is um, today in our world, we are able to see and know the things that are going on around the world more than ever before. Yeah. And so we're able to look at um, things like genocide in Africa or the things that ISIS is doing, and it is condemned by everyone. And then sometimes you read the Old Testament, and it sounds sort of like the things we see ISIS doing. You know what I mean? And yeah. so we yeah. we struggle with that. Yeah. You know? and, and names like, uh, try to, to compare uh, to people who've been involved in this, or Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and, uh, uh, you know, so these are the guys that we paint as the picture of Maybe even the Antichrist, right? Which I don't follow yeah. that line of thinking. But uh, and then we say, wait a second, doesn't that kind of resemble what Joshua and the Israelites did when they entered into the into the land? Ryan, is there anything you want to add in terms of just explaining or us understanding like where the problem can be? Because I think it'd be good for us as a as a church or as a community of faith to be aware of you know where that landmine sits. Yeah. You know where the where the problem sits. Yeah. Well, I think it sits underneath the umbrella of what's known as the as a theodicy, whether or not God and evil can philosophically, biblically coexist. If he's all good and all powerful, why does evil still exist? If he's big enough to deal with it, why didn't he just vanquish evil from the world? And this gets more tricky because now we're talking about is a loving God actually instructing his people to commit heinous atrocities against other human beings that have the image of God themselves? And that's where the, the, like the, the question gets really, really messy. Um, and then, you know, one level below that, is he playing favorites with mm-hmm. Israel by 
in, in some sense, battling on their behalf to remove these people groups from land that apparently, you know, the argument would say they are peacefully inhabiting. And, and what did they do to you that you just went and basically committed rampant genocide and stole their land, stole their property, stole their possessions? And so this gets it to be a really, really messy question. And I think that one way that we can, like, put a, a relatively modern term on it is it's the question of is holy war just is fighting in the name of your god just and so we have all of these concerns with the kind of christian history that goes along with say the crusades and the period of that but even today it's it's very hard to have this conversation in kind of an antagonistic situation where someone who's against the faith it's very hard to have that conversation without them comparing the Canaanite conquest to Islamic jihad. Mm -hmm. They're saying it's holy war. It's fighting in the name of your God to get rid of those who don't worship your God. And it, I mean, it's a, it's a real kind of hairball that's hard to, to get down to. Yeah. I, I actually saw online just uh, earlier this week, a video that these people in Holland have ma had made, at least it was in Dutch. So I assume it's in Holland and they took a Bible around and put a cover on it to make it look like the Quran. And they videotaped them reading excerpts of the Bible, mostly Old Testament, to people, and then asking those people what they thought of it as mm -hmm. kind of this, whatever, prank thing to get, to get people to condemn the Quran for its violence. And then they got to do the reveal, haha, this is actually the Bible. Yeah. And did you know that? And yeah, that, that comparison is being, is being made. Mm -hmm. One of the other um, you know, aspects before we move on to the next question, um, uh, understanding our context today. Um, I, I remember uh, driving by the Battle of Little Bighorn with, uh, with uh, you know, Custer's Last Stand. And I, I, I drove by that particular site, driving back and forth between Ozark and uh, Calgary, a number of times between 1988 and about 1993-94. And that place was transformed. In, in 88, it was, there were these American military people who were ambushed and slaughtered and killed. And uh, so you have this major memorial to Custer and to those American soldiers. And then you have not – they weren't trying to, to, to paint the, um, the Native Americans in a negative light, so, but a small part of the exhibit, and that has radically changed. Um, by the time I had quit going because I no longer drove, I flew, um, and, and it was almost like reversed. Um, it was, it was the, the whole landscape had changed. And so I really think it's critical for us to remember our context in which we're having this conversation. Very apologetic for, and, and I'm not even saying we shouldn't be, so hear me, but yeah. our context is very apologetic for um, American slavery, which mm -hmm. we should be. Yeah. Um, very apologetic for how the Native Americans were treated when there was the colonialization or the imperialistic um, mm -hmm. you know, exploitation of North America. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, even thinking about what's happened since 1948 in Israel, whose land is it? Yeah. So do we give, take it back and give it? And so there, these are loaded questions, right? And yep. so when people are hearing about the conquest of Canaan, they're thinking Native American. They're thinking about um, slavery. Uh, Spanish conquest. Spanish conquest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the context that people are hearing these stories in, right? So it's not like it's coming in a vacuum. Um, so I got into a very interesting conversation recently um, in Africa with one of our Ghana, Ghanaian missionaries, and um, we saw... You know, there were a lot of similarities, but we spent a lot of time debating and arguing what, what do you do with the Holy Land, you know, and whose is it? 
and uh, is 48? Do we do we take it from the Palestinians or so? Whose really was it? You know, and so you have to answer some of those questions, or at least recognize that you're coming with some preconceived ideas. Um, whereas probably 100 years ago, though, they weren't there. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. they weren't being asked. So, okay. Well, let's let's do this. And I, I know we're we're not going to get them all. So let me just kind of give a, a just a warning, I guess now. Um, the list that we want to kind of share with you is uh, just from the minds, which are vast in expanse of uh, Drew and Ryan. But what, what kind of key texts do you think we can even point people to so they can be aware? Um, even go and take a look at Like, I don't want to run away from yeah, these texts. Yeah. I don't want to, hey, by the way, don't read these. I will contend that the biggest problem comes from not looking at them. Okay. So, <laughs> Assuming what's in there. Exactly. So why don't you just share a little bit of like, what are the texts? That are, yeah, that are that are questionable. That are causing some stuff here. Yeah. So I, I mean, I touched on some of these. I mentioned, but but the actual kind of references. Uh, Exodus thirty-five at the beginning of it. Two is where God lays out that if anybody ever breaks the Sabbath, if anybody works mm-hmm. on the Sabbath, then you take them before the community and you stone them to death. Um, and then I can't. I can't remember. Do you remember? I think it's in Numbers where that actually you actually have a. Yep. A, a retail or a telling of that actually happening. A man picks up sticks on the Sabbath and he is stoned to death. And um, Deuteronomy 21, I think, um, is if you have a rebellious and disobedient son, you bring him before the elders mm-hmm. and you, you kind of declare that to be the case. And, and when they find that to be true, you stone him to death. Um, Deuteronomy 20, I think, is the instructions about going into the land of Canaan and the conquest there and how you're going to conquer and, and, bring people in as slaves or destroy them. And so those are, those are three big ones that kind of come across my mind. Okay. So take a look at the laws of, uh, of, the, of God as he gives them to the Israelites in Deuteronomy and other mm-hmm. concerns, Genesis 22, um, when Abraham is instructed to go slaughter his son. Yeah. Um, and then another big one that we have problems along, along kind of picking up sticks is second Samuel six, when Uzzah touches the ark as it's falling and he is, struck dead for him. Yeah. I mean, even go all the way to Acts with um, this couple who is lying about their devotion to God in terms of selling their property and giving all the proceeds um, for the betterment of the community, and God strikes them down dead there too. And we think, wow, he is so kind of capricious, and man, he's angry today. Let's yeah. not let's not just play. I thought he was all about forgiveness and grace. <laughs> Joshua 6 and 7, you know, would be a kind of a good test case with the Battle of Jericho and then the ensuing struggles and battles that they Aiken have. Achan and his family. Yeah, Achan and his family are, are punished for their sin um, by death. Yeah. And not just Achan, the one who does it, but his family, their tent, and all of their belongings are yeah. taken outside and well, even, stoned and burned. Even the wars themselves against Jericho and against AI. Yep. Like yep. they are, it's not just like defeat them so because they're attacking you. It's it's in, in in some translations it's called the ban and then it's basically this idea of a a war that is devoted to, everything is to be devoted to God it's to be destroyed as really an act of worship and so that that again just kind of paints a picture of kind of an angry God that just wants things like wants to smell the smoke of burning human beings that's kind of how the picture would be painted yep any other um and you could go, you go, I'm, this is already messing me up here. I'm already getting nervous <laughs> as we're going through this. I, I don't know if we're helping or hurting with this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um, but 
Um, yeah, I mean, all, obviously, you can go you can go all throughout and 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 find stuff throughout scripture that is 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 frustrating. And one of the, this is kind of when I I meant to mention this in the first thing. One of the difficulties is um, that this seems to run against a lot of other scripture. Like the, mm-hmm. I, I would argue that the place where human beings are seen as inherently valuable, the places where that takes place the most are the places where Christianity has deep roots. Yep. Um, because it's the Bible that teaches that people are made in God's image. It's the Bible that teaches that people are to be valued and loved. And so that is even kind of the struggle. Yeah. Is it, it's, it's the Bible's teaching to us and that Judeo-Christian ethic that has been built into us, even if, even if you're not a Christian, that, that really does cause us to bump up against some of these texts from the Bible yeah. and struggle and that, with them. That, that becomes a concern when we see God strike Ezekiel's wife dead as a teaching illustration. Yeah. Like this is this is what why why did you do that? Is it because she did something wrong? I need to prove a point, and so I'm going to kill this woman who, by all accounts, is apparently innocent. Yeah, and and that this is the God that also cares deeply for His. You know, and one that uh, I, I think maybe in our culture we've just completely dismissed as a fable, so it doesn't matter, but would be an issue if you really believed it, which I do, which would be the flood. Yeah. The flood account, and you know, recently there was a movie that came out uh, that kind of dealt with that, and it, I thought it was really interesting how how they played off of uh, what really was going on there in terms mm-hmm. of the nature of the flood and why the flood. But yeah, God kills everybody in the world because they're wicked, except for one man, his wife, and their and their children. Just decides to start over again. Like that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's mm-hmm. difficult. And yet, what's interesting <clears throat> here's what's interesting is that um, if I were to have Morgan in here, our children's pastor, and say, so what What stories do we teach the kids on a regular basis? <laughs> well, we love to teach about the flood, and we love to teach about David killing Goliath, and we love to teach about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. And we the love Exodus, to teach about the killing the, of the firstborn. The Exodus, yes, God kills all the firstborn, and then he drowns all of all of the Egyptians and uh, uh, the uh, the army of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And so these are the stories that our kids hear. Uh, well, those are some easy of the to put stories. in coloring books, right? Yep. Lots of stuff to put yep. in coloring books. So, okay. So those are the, the, those are the stories. Let me add one more that I was, I was, I was kind of curious to see if you guys were going to bring this one up. And, and, and here's kind of a bigger picture that I don't want to answer this just now, but I want to see, here's what I find happens is that, um, with humanity, there is this desire to um, see additional ways or additional areas. Like we, we, we kind of develop that that list, right? Well, what about this text and this text? Well, and this text and this text and this text and this text. And one of the most interesting texts that's become a big deal for those people who are trying to focus on the love of God and the goodness of God is the fact that the crucifixion itself, mm-hmm. um, if it is truly an act of God— not just God, God's son at the mercy of these terrible Romans, but if it really is. So what was the plan? Well, that God sent his son. For what reason? To die. Okay, so this was God's plan. Yep. And so I'm yeah. sure you've heard. And that- the why behind that. The why? Because he would, he would have killed us if it wasn't for yeah. Jesus. Like yeah. somebody has to die for this. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of at the core of our story. And so, you know, there have been some that have actually coined the idea of Jesus Christ dying in our place for our sins, the substitutionary atonement, as what? Cosmic child abuse yeah. or divine child abuse. Yeah. Cosmic yeah. or divine child abuse. So it's interesting how it never stays in it never stays at the conquest of Canaan. Mm-mm. It just it keeps bleeding over and bleeding over and bleeding over. It it, it um this this quest for uh 
whether you want to call it uniformity or this desire for there to just be this goodness in God, as defined by us, not as defined by the Bible, will creep into the book of Revelation. It will creep into our ideas of why Jesus Christ died and how God's involvement in that. Mm-hmm. Like, it just goes everywhere. You can't you can't keep it in in just the books of uh, Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges. Mm-hmm. It's going to go everywhere, and I and I and I think that's kind of interesting. There is a mentality. Um, with those people who oppose these things, not, not opposes evil, but opposes God kind of standing under our judgment, mm-hmm. that whole mentality kind of destroys how we look at the book itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why it can sound so brilliant that I've taken the Bible and I've covered it up. Um, and now people can think it's like the Quran. And it's been one of my arguments for a long time is that when we remove the difficult parts of the Bible as we're discipling people or as we're telling people, we're setting themselves, we're setting ourselves up for failure down the road because you can't escape these texts. Mm-hmm. They're going to find them. So we have to address them. So let me ask you guys this. Um, like how often are you talking to people about this? So we're, we're saying it's a big deal, right? We're doing this podcast um, almost in the Christmas, well, we're in the Christmas season yeah. <laughs> and we're doing this thing on violence. And so, you know, obviously. Merry Christmas, Merry, everyone. Merry, <laughs> happy, happy Christmas. God Merry bless us one and all. <laughs> Thank you, Tiny Drew. Um, so when when we look at this, so is, is this really a big deal? Like, tell me how often, um, you know, Ryan, I'll, I'll start with you because you do a lot of stuff with, uh, not just with our, uh, our our adults, but even with a lot of college students and you do some speaking with our youth. So tell me, like, how often are you dealing with these particular issues? Are we making this a bigger issue than it is? Or are we saying, no, we really are getting the sense that this is a big deal? No, I mean... I think it it's a relatively big issue, and I think it's a subset of a larger issue, and that is the integrity of Scripture. And so I think that the Bible in, in culture at large has been very much called into question for a long, 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 long time. And so this happens to be a particular flavor of that question that I see a lot right now, because I'll tell you, on the internet, this is the easiest one to just take a pot shot at, because this is the one that I can line it up against other current events, and now we can get news at the speed of light. And I can just say, like, um, there is, like, I don't know why you would condemn what happens at a Planned Parenthood clinic in um, in Colorado Springs or what happens at a party in San Bernardino because your God seems to be in favor of things like that. Like, it's mm-hmm. a real easy way to take a shot at the faith as at large, but more pointedly at, at the integrity of Scripture because that is one of our fundamental, I, I don't think a lot of, um, probably more liberal mainline denominations struggle to defend this as well because it doesn't need defending if you don't have a book that you're claiming is inerrant and unified. But we do make those claims that the Bible is a unified, authoritative whole that speaks truthfully about everything it um, it has inside of it. And so this is an issue because yeah. you you tell me that your God is a God of love, and I just don't see that lining up. And so I hear this coming from university students and high school students quite a bit, but adults wrestle with this as well, because I'm not even done listing the text. We didn't even talk about why God killed David and Bathsheba's first son. Yeah. Like, and, and I can just keep finding these things and yep. it bothers us. Yep. Yep. I really do think it's, it's not at the forefront of everyone's mind, but when you start to question the integrity of the Bible, this is one of the first things that pops up. So <clears throat> daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly drew like like honestly how yeah. how often I, I really want to put this in a real yes, context yes. so our people can realize um you know because i i even have some you know, if i'm speaking for them i even have some questions i don't even yes. know where i would go so yeah. t- tell me how 
tell me what this looks like in yeah. a real life conversation with a real person. This is this is my hunch is that we that Christians don't ask this question a whole lot, but that they actually do struggle with it okay. a lot more. That it's that this is one in which we kind of would like to just kind of push past it, and if we can just kind of put it out of our minds. Because when I do bring it up with people, if we're studying a passage that leads to this, you can tell people's discomfort with it, yes. right? And and people really do wrestle with it, and then the questions will start coming. Um, but I don't think they like to spend a lot of time dwelling on it. As, as Ryan said, those um, particularly more kind of devout atheists are are more likely to kind of run to this. We just did a Q and A night at the table, yep. in which we let students send in questions, and and a couple of our students, you know, uh, got some questions from their non Christian friends, and and one from from an atheist coworker from one of our students was, um, why is God such a proponent of slavery and the murder of innocent people? <laughs> was there. Um, was was the question yeah. that was kind of asked, and yep. you can even tell by the way it is phrased. Is there's yep. there's an anger there? There's a little bit of a jab mm-hmm. in there, and so Christians, I think, don't verbalize it, but because they want to kind of push past it and try not to think about it and trust that it's okay or in some way, yeah. you know. But I think non Christians, it's a big deal. People who are wrestling. So, so then let me put it in this light. So as you're thinking through this, um, talking to the audience now, as as as, as for those of you listening, as you're thinking through this. Then there's really two contexts. There is those who uh, who aren't believers who are wrestling with this, and it may be a real obstacle, or mm-hmm. it may just be one other rock that they want to throw yeah. at those who have faith. It can in, be an honest question, or it can be an antagonistic subject from the outside. Yes, and then there's those on the inside, and you're saying this is one of those things where um, somebody who grew up going to church and you know doing the uh, whatever it is, the kind of the going to church with their family and really not kind of processing it at a deep level are now in college and they're reading the parts of the Bible they just never really paid attention to. They're looking at the stories at a different light and they're going, wow, this is more complicated. Yeah. But I probably shouldn't talk about it, yeah. you know, or, or where would I even go Yeah. to talk about it, you know? And so it, it kind of becomes, we, we love to, you know, everything on uh, the internet loves to kind of what is the dirty little secret of the church? Yeah, and churches nineteen. Yeah, and I really think that this this becomes one of those, right? Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, this becomes one of those kind of a dirty little secret. Is that how how do we how do we how do we deal with this? And so you're saying yeah. you're dealing with this on a regular basis, and yeah. and and I and I think it's even good to know. Um, there was a great sermon preached years ago. I won't say who it is because he was an angry person and he's been cast out of Christian circles for the most part. But in uh, in Mark Driscoll's great sermon uh, that he preaches on on Christ cutting words in controversy, he says that as we deal with people, we need to know who they are in order to know how to deal with them. And I think it's good for us to not stereotype or categorize people in a negative light, but to realize, is this an honest person who's asking a question? Mm-hmm. Is this a young person in our youth ministry, who is um, trying to understand how God could ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Or is this someone who's got, you know, one more reason to not believe, mm-hmm. and they're really not processing this, trying to figure it out. They're just kind of making another accusation against. And I, I think we need to have a great response to both. Mm-hmm. But how we approach that conversation is different. Would that would you yeah. would you agree to that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. So that process becomes yeah, a big definitely. deal. Um, let me ask this question. Uh, do you guys brutally, you know, we, we try to be as honest as we possibly can. Um, do you guys wrestle with this? Like, tell me, Drew, let me begin with you. Like, you know, yeah. you're, you're kind of, uh, angsty. 
Sure. Um, and other words that kind of, you know, kind of fit in that camp. I mean, I just, you know. You I've, are you are destructively reflective. Yeah, That's destructively what I'll say. Destructively reflective. Well, he would be my you wouldn't answer. Win a, you wouldn't win a fight with anybody. I mean. Uh, here's, here's my answer. I was actually... I was doing real good with this issue until this you conversation. You don't watch MMA, right? Is, I mean, you're. I could, yeah. I mean, I could watch MMA. I just couldn't you'd feel do it. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, kill a deer or those kinds of weird. Exactly. Things. I'm okay with I'm okay people with doing, doing that. It, I just I can't, can't do it. it. I yeah. can't stomach it. So yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, I, I do. I. I uh, it depends on. It depends on the day. There. There. It kind of depends on the season and the day and those kinds of things. There are times when. Um, this is not so much an issue for maybe bad reasons, like I've just kind of pushed it out of my head. There are times when I focus on it and it really does, um, it gets to me and it feels like it might at any moment, this is why we breeze past this, I think sometimes, like it might open up this Pandora's box of doubt, you know what I mean, that will just kind of undo my faith or something, you sure. know, if I think too hard. And then there are other times when, as I start to look at the larger context and as I start to see the bigger picture of what's actually happening and have a, a better grasp of the of the his, history that's taking place in there and, and the way things are being written, that I, I, I rest a lot easier with this. And so I can't say that all the time I feel great, I, but but increasingly have have come to better terms with this stuff because I think there's there's bigger stuff happening behind it that we don't always see. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a struggle for so. Let me ask you this one one before I move to Ryan. Um, so I say, hey, there's somebody outside and they've got a real problem with one aspect of Christianity. Um, are you and are you are you almost afraid? I don't want to deal with this one because I really wrestle with this one too. Um, you know, I hope they ask about another issue. I hope it's about evolution, or I hope it's about you know something else. Yes. Um, yes. Or are you like no? And, and that because I've, I've seen this, I've seen like sometimes when um, even though I might have a lot of these questions, when I hear someone else opposing them, it, sometimes I get stronger inside. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this yeah. this actually helps me think yeah. through this. So yeah. so how how do you how do you respond to that? When someone has this issue, are you, yeah, let's talk about this? Or yeah. are you like, oh I wish we I wish we would Yes. It's it's I I actually I think I am um, growing more towards liking to talk about it. the one thing that I get and when we got this question at the Q and A night, the one thing and I don't know how much I can lay out here, but um, that is difficult is there are some truths that we're going to say that I am okay with that like a non-believer is just not going to be okay with. Yeah. There's yeah. some things about God and his rights as the, the divine creator that I'm settled on and, and I'm all right with that people just aren't going to be. And there's some things about being in a modern Western culture um, that um, – that are going to make people more sensitive to these things. And, and it would almost be easier to describe, to explain this to someone in Africa or in Asia than it is in, in America and in the Western world. A lot of these things are, this is really worth saying, I think. Um, we come to these texts sometimes as universal problems that everybody looks at and goes, black and white, that's terrible, and the Bible's got a problem, they got to deal with it. When in truth, what it actually is, is things that in the last hundred years, yes. people in the Western world have wrestled with. Um, and, and that's just important to know that, like, this isn't necessarily a unit. You know, sometimes it's not so much moral things that are being violated, but Western cultural sensitivity that's being mm-hmm. violated. Yeah. And, and I love, I was so grateful for Tim Keller to say, recognize that there are a number of parts of the world, honor, shame, societies, and cultures, where Jesus' instructions to love your enemies or to turn the other cheek would be highly offensive. And yet we would say that they're being offended by those commands 
does not invalidate them. Mm -hmm. So what makes you think that Western culture being offended somehow invalidates it? Is, is Western culture the standard by which all morality ought to be gauged? Um, and if, if not, then, yeah, we have that's to be able to— That's what you just you know, said there. I mean, it's, I mean yeah, so bravo, that, bravo. Yeah, yeah so that's—I mean, to read that was really helpful. Sometimes, um, sometimes I think I'm going, oh, something really bad happened there, and we would all—when actually I'm saying, no, as a Westerner, I don't like that. But that doesn't mean that it's—that doesn't say anything about the morality. It just yeah. says that that offends me. Yeah. As well, as, you know? well, I had, had someone the other day just quickly come up to me and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about a lot of the Christian intolerance towards Islam— and then the next statement was, because, you know, we all worship the same God. And I just really quickly didn't have time to answer the whole thing, but really quickly I said, you know, I have a young man who lives with us who's Muslim. He's deeply offended when you say that. Yeah. yeah. And this person looked at me and like, well, what do you mean he's deeply offended? Yeah, like he, he for you to say to Taysir that um, Allah and Yahweh are the same God, he would say, no, they're not the same God. Like you, he would look at me and say, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet in American culture, we need to be nice to those who disagree with us, and we've done it in a way that actually offends them. Yeah. Yep. And so it's really interesting how, and this this person literally looked at me and said, okay, I had no idea that um, that someone from that part of the world would be offended at this wonderful desire for us to coexist. Yep. And I'm like, really? Wow, that's so Western. Yeah. yeah I usually you know? find that people that make that claim that such and such religions are all worshiping the same God from different perspectives, are that's usually someone who's not devoted to any one of those gods. It's an yeah. outsider who's yeah. making claims that would offend every adherent of all of those religions. Yep. Yep. Okay, Ryan, what do you got in terms of um, very specifically uh, like how you wrestle with this? You know, I mean, a lot of times I wish that it bothered me more. Like, I, I really don't wrestle with it so much. I think over the years I have, um, and I always have to make sure that it's in check and that it's um, that I'm really being faithful to what Scripture says about it, but I have just such an overwhelming appreciation for the sovereignty and the prerogative of God that whatever he does is by definition right. That when I come to these problem texts, I can, you know, quickly, you know, even when they disturb me, I can quickly, like, order them and say, yes, but that sits under the purview of God's sovereignty and his rights to do whatever he pleases with creation. And on top of that, I have a very strong appreciation for the integrity of Scripture. That mm. It's just I've never really, I've never had a concern with Scripture that couldn't in some sense be alleviated by simply reading Scripture itself. And so that's why I can say that a lot of times whenever someone wants to talk about these particular passages, I just say, well, like, I don't think there's much left to be said until we sit down and read them because I don't want to be working from parodies of these things or caricatures of them because I think, you know, we can basically read the story like 12 years ago and then put our Western like logic on top of it. And by the time we're, we're talking about them, we, you haven't read this particular passage in Joshua seven, have you? Well, no, I did a long time ago. It says this and that. Actually, no, it doesn't. Let's open it. And yeah. it's going to be so helpful to get in. Hear me. That's not going to solve all of our problems, yep. Yep. but it's going to remove unnecessary ones. And I find that a lot of the issues are unnecessary inflated problems that are kind of figments of our imagination. Yeah. Just in case anyone's wondering, I really line up with both of what you just said. I mean, I, I see a commonality of all of us looking at this. I totally get when, when others totally struggle with it. I yep. don't go... That is so crazy to me. I don't understand why you have this problem. I get it. Mm -hmm. I don't share it. I totally understand it, and I totally don't share it. Mm -hmm. um, I would say I line up almost exactly the way you guys described it would be 
exactly how I how I how I face it as well. Um, so as we wrap this up, I got just one last question. So, to the best of your ability, without talking for thirty minutes, um, we can, you know, and, and I know so we could have we 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 want we want to start with this question and answer format. We really want to start a conversation. Yeah. So we may come back to this on the podcast, or hopefully you could see one of us at church and say, "Hey, um, and we'll buy the coffee, we'll buy lunch, right, guys?" Yep. Um, we would love to talk about this to to build some integrity in terms of your faith and your understanding of the scriptures, or answer some difficult questions, or even answer some difficult questions for your friends who you're trying to to to, to win over to a belief in Jesus Christ. So, Drew, if I were to come back at you and say, you know, in a succinct in a succinct way your best answer to this question about the problem and the capricious and commanding uh, or condoning and commanding uh, violence of god in the bible the best way that you would answer it would be man succinctly is the difficulty here because <laughs> um, i got so much i'd yeah, love to sure, say about sure, you know, sure, what, sure. one of the things i would say is to step back and look at the overall picture of god and not take a few small chunks right um there is a reason that one of the most consistent refrains about God and his character is slow to anger mm-hmm. and compassionate and gracious and loving, and that there's a reason that the people in the Old Testament looked at the things that God did in the Old Testament and said, man, that guy is patient and slow to anger. <laughs> and we look at the same God and we go, sure. why is he so moody, right? Sure. When, when Jonah goes and preaches to the Ninevites and they all repent— after, I mean, you're talking about wicked people when you're talking about the Assyrian Empire who've yeah. done just atrocious things. And the Canaanites. And, yes, mm-hmm. and the Canaanites. And, they, and well, yeah, and, and they repent. And when they repent, God forgives them and he doesn't bring his wrath. And Jonah's first response is, I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> like he, he says, I didn't want to go preach to them because I know how patient and yep. slow to anger you are. I know the way this works. And, and you're demonstrating again. And one of the, again, you go to the Canaanites. I find it really fascinating in Genesis 15 when Abraham is there um, looking at the land and God says to him, I'm going to, this is the land I'm going to give to you and your family one day. But then he says this, but I'm not giving it yet because the sins of the Amorites haven't reached their full measure yet. Mm -hmm. In other words, like I'm going to wait on them. I'm going to be patient with them. And I'm not like with as, as brutal as they've been, we're talking about a people who did child sacrifice who are using the exploitation of women and men, sexual exploitation <laughs> as an act of worship yes. with temple prostitutes. Yeah. We're talking about idolatry. We're talking about the oppression of the poor. Slavery. Yes. Mm-hmm. All, all these, these things. things. Yes. yes. And God says, I'm going to be patient with them and wait. And he waits not a year <laughs> or 50 years or 100 years. He waits over 500 years on these people, five centuries of patience and mm-hmm. kindness and and and. I think if, if we waited that long on ISIS, then people would be angry. Why are yeah. you taking so mm-hmm. long to punish wicked, evil people? And so for God to come in and punish people who are doing these things, and, and it's no wonder that, they're, that he's called slow to anger when he waits so long to do all of these things, when he's so patient with them all the time. And so that's, that to me is a really big, I'll, I'll Ezekiel 18 real quick. And I'll, I know we're supposed no, to be no, succinct. I, I, and when so, I say succinct, I don't mean yeah. like one second. I just, yeah. Go. Um, so Ezekiel 18 is a big one where, where God says, do I delight in the death of the wicked? Wouldn't I rather them turn to me and, and find life? Like, and so the, the picture of him is painted that there's never a point where 
God is happy about this or, or, or he just kind of gets excited, rubbing his hands together. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. To, it's no, he never delights in the death of the wicked, but you know, 500 years into their sin, he would rather them turn to him and find life, but he doesn't mind punishing it when, mm-hmm. when it's necessary. Yeah. You know? That's a great text. I, I remember thinking of that text, um, when, um, Osama bin Laden, when yeah. they announced that he was killed. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, on the one hand, justice, I, I believe justice had been yeah. done. And so there's some some kind of response that is appropriate. Um, and yet also the rejoicing of it, I remember just thinking, God isn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Doesn't doesn't delight. Doesn't, yeah, he doesn't like, like their justice will come, and yet there's not joy. And I remember looking at a lot of Christian people who are so mm-hmm. excited and reading their ridiculous Facebook posts, which is still one of the... Mm-hmm plagues upon humanity but you know when you look yeah. at that i mean it's just kind of like wow this really something's broken here you know so yeah. got it ryan what do you got okay um there are okay that was succinct <laughs> yeah thank you that was very, very succinct. appreciate that now there and, and like drew it's kind of like being <laughs> succinct i got 47 things i want to say um there are just so just to kind of help us see the broad picture of scholarship on this there are there are a host of ways that that people will try to reason through these these dark passages. Um, a number of of scholars, and on I would say the more liberal side of things, will say yes that that was what the what Joshua describes in the conquest of Canaan is accurate. However, it wasn't at the command of Yahweh. That was wicked people ascribing their atrocities mm-hmm. to their God. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't as the as the the text actually paints it. And another kind of more middle of the road view would say that these passages were written a lot later than they were. So um, Joshua, I would say, is is describing is being written from a perspective of relatively current to when it was taking place, right after the conquest of Canaan in the um, I guess you would say that would be the fourteen hundreds BC. And then some, a lot of scholarships would say, well, no, that was written about a thousand years later after the Israelites are coming out of the exile and they're returning from Babylon and they need a way to put down their history and basically reestablish their culture as they return back to the promised land. And so they're going to elaborate on certain things to give themselves kind of the credentials they yep. need to say what we're doing is right and we are worshiping God in this way. Even remember back then they would kind of inflate these stories. And I don't think that either of those are satisfactory ways of answering it. There have been a number of scholars, and I don't know how much I can... They're so much more intelligent than I, so I have to kind of appeal to their wisdom when they say that a lot of what goes on in, say, Joshua, and we're talking specifically the Canaanite conquest, so there are other areas that are still problems, is that they were not attacking cities as we commonly understand them today, where you have high-rise apartments and grocery stores. Yep. It was, these were walled cities. They were fortified military outposts, is what these guys are saying, is that this was an attack on a standing military at their fort, so to speak. And so and when God pushes them in, he's not technically wiping, and we, we know that they never wiped out anybody. Yeah. Um, he didn't clear out. It wasn't genocide, as we call it. It was one army defeating another army. Um, I'm still not sure how I feel about that answer because there's still some issues in the text to be dealt with, but um, it does make sense of certain it things. It does, yeah. Like I, I'd never even thought about how do they, if this is a huge city, how do they march around it seven times in one day and then do battle? 
You know what I mean? Yes, and not only yeah. is there not enough time for that, but yep. I can't see anybody having any energy, <laughs> you know, and the idea that it would be like the idea that it would be much more like a fort makes sense of that instruction. Sure. Oh, that's doable. Sure. That's, you know what I mean? Sure. One other thing I really think that we need to understand is that sometimes we can we can view this these dark situations as God playing favorites with his people and picking on those yep. who would be against his people. The more you read the Old Testament, God wars against one nation more than any other, and that is his own people. Yeah. He punishes the sin in Israel and in Judah more than anywhere else. And how does he do it? He raises up wicked Assyrian armies. That's the weird story of Jonah. Jonah gets them to repent. And in so doing, God is raising up an army that about 20, 30 years later, he comes and destroys his people, a punishment for their wickedness. Yeah. And he's unbelievably patient with them. It yeah. takes hundreds of years for him to punish them. And then it's only 70 years before they come back. Yeah. He's unbelievably gracious to forgive. And so if, if yes, we can deal with the fact that God uses violence to punish, but he's not inconsistent as he punishes. He's very just, and his righteousness is always upheld. And, and then one last thing, it's, if we have a problem with God's economy, with how he deals with sin in the nation, we need to be very consistent and have a problem with how that takes place in the New Testament. Because I don't like how God punishes things in the Old Testament by killing people, but I'm really quick to fall on the cross and say, but I'm so glad that God did that. Wait, mm -hmm. he's still punishing yeah. evil with death, with yeah. the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that we're at least consistent in how we're disturbed by these passages. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll add one tiny little piece, and what you both said is really good. Um, I Going back to the divine child abuse piece, you just have a bad understanding of God if, you know, God's walking around his house and finds his son and his son's playing with his trains. Mm -hmm. And, hey, uh, little Jesus, I'm sending you to the earth to kill you. And why, daddy? And, like, that's just not the way the Bible describes how the Godhead works together. And so when we say that um, divine child abuse, that God would send his son to die for us. Actually, Paul says that Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and did this for the glory of God the Father, that there's unity in the Godhead. Therefore, as God sends his son in this last context, right, yeah. which is, I think, the, the, the most important sacrifice um, that we see in the Bible, the most important judgment that we see in the Bible, there's unity in that. Yeah. God isn't capriciously sending his son who is willfully willing to do it, but, boy, this isn't really fair. So I'll do it for you. I mean, that's just such a weak understanding of how all of this fits together, mm -hmm. going right back to our theology of how the Godhead uh, is united together in this purpose of glorifying God. So mm -hmm. you really could say that God sent God to die so that the wrath of God mm -hmm. might be appeased by the justice of God, by the sending of God on the cross to die for the people yeah. that he made. I mean, that's that John, John Stott. God himself gave himself to save us from himself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, the, I mean, that's have a longer conversation. And yes. I think that's maybe even a reason, if we can be honest, one of the reasons why we have resolved this is because we have lingered long yes. in the debate and we're not willing to let go of other ideas that we have about God. And so I would say for those of you that are genuinely wrestling with this question, genuinely wrestling, stay in the struggle and yeah. stay in the conversation and realize the other important pieces that you may have to let go of if you're just going to decide that, God isn't nice, you know, and a, and a big thing that I, and let me, let me close with this. I think it's important that we realize, especially as we're having conversations in this country right now about uh, the Quran and about Islam and about violence in the world, um, that what's wrong with the Quran is not that it is a violent book. 
that's I mean that's sure it, I got but there are lots of violent books there's lots yep. of violence I go to movies that have violence um there's going to be a great MMA fight this weekend that's going to have violence the, the what's wrong with the Quran is not that it's violent what's wrong with the Quran is it's not about God mm-hmm. like that's the fundamental flaw with Islam is that it is it is not a clear portrait of who the creator of the universe is and and as Christians we want to argue kind of like the rest of the world well what's wrong with Islam is they're they're violent and they're well they're not all violent I mean I'd be one of the first ones to say that is not a clear picture of every Muslim. No, the majority of the Muslims are kind and sweet and still wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of our fundamental belief is that this is who God is. And when we have decided that what is wrong with Islam or what is wrong with any kind of religion is how it really isn't nice or sweet or kind, and that's our beef. No, what's what, what makes our religion right is the fact that it is right. Yeah. And I know that sounds crazy, and I know that you might. And what makes other religions wrong is that they are not accurate portraits of who the creator of the universe is. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. So, we good? Can I give yeah. two quick recommendations? How, how, what, no. Right? I mean, I can't do that now, so you're, you're going. Go. Um, two quick. Uh, Reason for God by mm-hmm. Timothy Keller helped me in this area. It's kind of apologetics in general. Um, with a couple chapters on this, and then one that Ryan turned me on to is Skeletons in God's Closet by Joshua Ryan Butler, which deals with conquest of Canaan and judgment and hell, yep. all those things. Great books. Those are really good. And one last recommendation. Okay, Steve's saying we got to wrap this Steve up. Steve is saying this is not a book recommendation. This is just kind of a reflective recommendation. Oh, okay. When then take you, a talk yes. as long as you yeah, want. Exactly. When you struggle with God's like judgment in the scriptures. I find that I'm often struggling with it because I have a low view of his holiness and an inadequate view of my own sin. Just, Boom. I think no, that those no, things are worth Okay, no, I'm done. I mean, I, actually, I really do love that. I mean, I think that's awesome. Uh, it is our view of God. Hey, we love you guys. And uh, let me tell you, we're serious. Let us continue this conversation with you. We're, we, we know this is a little bit longer than usual, um, but it's an important conversation, and we want to continue it with you. 